Listeners and welcome aboard Costume Station Zero. I'm Bob Mitch, and today I'm joined by a good friend, uh, kind of prop man, car man, and uh, general all-around uh, jack of all trades. Please welcome Mr. Brian Wiega. Hello, Internet. I hope we can be friends. Awesome. So you uh, you've listened to the podcast. You know the score. I like to start at the beginning. How did you get into prop making and costumes? Well, like uh, you know any other nine-year-old, I liked uh, sci-fi when I was a kid, and uh, I was really into Star Trek, and that was about 1991, so they had uh, lots and lots of Star Trek toys and, and uh, you know, videos and, and junk like that. So I got everything I could possibly think of from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And then in 1996, I saw a movie of the week about Doctor Who, and I liked Doctor Who even better because it was sort of British <laughs> and all about the adventures of a uh, a very odd person who uh, travels through time in a library, and That's really what appeared. Yeah, yeah, I really liked that. So yeah. I went to find some Doctor Who stuff, and uh, there wasn't any. So I started making it all myself. Just kind of learned about different uh, construction techniques. Like I, uh, I apparently was one of the first people to uh, make a question mark umbrella out of an acrylic rod by putting it in the oven and bending it. And my father was a or he was a, um, a civil engineer, and so mm-hmm. he knew a lot about different construction techniques and things like that. So mm-hmm. it was a, there was a game that we could do together is figure out how we'd make all these these cheap BBC props uh, even cheaper. Right. And yeah. so uh, kind of got into that, and then that segued into the uh, the puppets from Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Crow and Tom Servo and Gypsy. Mm-hmm. They're all made out of junk. Right. Yeah. And uh, but the uh, the construction's a little bit more sophisticated. The, the the Doctor Who props they're they're essentially just little widgets uh, put together with hot glue and the the Mystery Science Theater puppets you had to actually make them work and mm-hmm. if you did it right you know the little arms had bladders in them and you had mouths that could move and eyes that could move and mm-hmm. it was kind of neat and I that combined with my love of the old uh, Disney movies uh, like Herbie the Love Bug and uh, the Absent-Minded Professor got me into trying to figure out how these things were made and getting into machines and now I'm an engineer. What was the first actual uh, prop replica you made? I honestly can't remember. It's it's either like a Doctor Who sonic screwdriver, like in the McGann movie that telescopes up and down that mm-hmm. I made out of a toilet plunger and PVC pipe, <laughs> <laughs> or um, yeah, this that's probably the first prop. 
I mean, okay. uh, at that point, I'd you know I'd go around to the Hollywood videos and find old Doctor Who videos. Sure. And I got into Tom Baker, and so I had my grandmother make me a scarf, a mm -hmm. uh, Tom Baker scarf, which was probably one of the first ones. Okay. All right. So, did you ever like costume as, as Doctor Who or someone from Herbie or Star Trek for Halloween? Yeah, yeah. When I was uh, when I was nine, I was Spock. Nice. And uh, and it was kind of funny because I I think I had a skateboard accident and had broken one of my wrists, mm -hmm. and so I couldn't do the live long and prosper hand thing. <laughs> uh -huh. And so I think I taped my fingers together so it could kind of look like that when I was out in Halloween. But then again, you know, we made the shirt, mm -hmm. and the rest of it was just toys. You could go to any Toys R Us, and for twenty bucks, you could get a ray gun or a tricorder or whatever you need. Pretty easy. And mm -hmm. then when I started getting into Doctor Who, uh, after that for a few years, so, you know, through high school, I had, uh, you know, it was something my grandmother and I would do, figure out how to make clothes and, and, and stuff like that. So I think it really started when I was very, very ill for an entire summer. I got uh, a lot of yarn and I made the season uh, 20, I guess it is, the, the really long burgundy Doctor Who scarf. Se season 18. Season 18. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, yeah, I'm, I'm showing that I'm not, I'm not as much of a, a Who nerd as I should be. <laughs> hey, well, we, <laughs> we can the, always um, catch up. Yeah. So I made the, uh, the, the big scarf, the 21, 24 foot long, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I had that, and then I was really into Sylvester McCoy, so my grandmother uh, made a uh, made a vest with the question marks nice, on it. Nice. And I actually, like, I, I still have it. That's the one piece that I kept. Mm -hmm. uh, the rest of them I gave away or, you know, sold on eBay for 10 bucks each or something like that. Mm -hmm. nice. um, but uh, that one I like because it actually looks nicer to me than the real costume because we made it out of silk. Oh. Silk yarn. Mm -hmm. uh, I should have brought it with me. Uh, you, you'd get a get a kick out of it. So I had Sylvester McCoy, and his his outfit was kind of easy because he just had slacks and he had a sport coat and the um, you can get those at any thrift store. Right. And I had the vest and I had a little scarf and I had this question mark umbrella that I had made, and I didn't have a hat. I never I never spent that much money to mm -hmm. to get a Panama hat. Um, so that was those were the costumes. And then one time, you know, I was doing community theater at that mm -hmm. time. And I uh, didn't really like Colin Baker, but they were doing a, a Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And so my grandmother and I was like, well, what the hell? Let's make a, uh, let's make a really ugly multicolored coat and see if it gets me the lead in this play. And it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it worked. I mean, the scarf, uh, I think the scarf got me something in A Christmas Carol sometime. Nice. It was just something to do. Something. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a lot of good memories with my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Um doing uh, little crafts and things like that. How, how does one make the jump from doing things like this to getting into things like uh, Herbie the Love Bug and, and Bond cars and stuff like that? Well, like I said, I did the puppets for Mystery Science Theater 3000, and I took that a little bit too far, uh, meaning that uh, we did an entire movie, because I was interested in being a director, mm -hmm. uh, and I was interested in, in making movies. Mm -hmm. And found out later that all I liked was making the gadgets. I, I couldn't stand directing or, or setting up cameras or things like that or lighting or sound. I hated all those things. Mm -hmm. But I liked making props. So, But the year before I went to college, I had all this Doctor Who nonsense, uh, you know, all this Doctor Who stuff uh, that had been from the last couple of years uh, of goofing around with my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And I had these Mystery Science Theater puppets. Mm -hmm. And I had a whole bunch of kids uh, that I knew that were talented from community theater and that all had that very theatrical sensibility. So we decided to make a Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie. Mm -hmm. And we made fun of the worst thing we could think of, 
the Sylvester McCoy episode, Time and the Ronnie. Ah, Time and the Ronnie. <laughs> but it's great. It's it's a perfect mystery science theater thing because it's, it's all true, this sort of neon early '80s nightmare. It's sort of like it's it's like watching Knight Rider and expecting it to be a sci-fi. You know, not, you you ever watched old Knight Rider and everybody's dressed in in uh, you know neon clothes and, and track suits and things mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. and and uh, huge mustaches and you laugh at them, but not for the reasons you'd think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, time of the run is that sort of way. It's sort of a, a bad LSD '80s trip. Yeah, and we had a good time. And you know, it being almost being community theater kids, we made a we made some songs out of it. And my garage, my mother was very, very patient. We took her entire garage, and I bought some plywood. And I saved up junk bottles and caps and and interesting widgets from from thrift stores for about a year. Mm -hmm. And got a screw gun, screwed them all to a wall, uh, a a geodesic dome that I'd created in the garage and made the entire Mystery Science Theater 3000 set with doors that would move. And we had Mm -hmm. a green screen behind there so that we could go into the door sequence. And we did a whole full-length movie. Mm -hmm. And... uh, Got into just sort of the bug of building stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the, the segue to cars was uh, my father and I wanted a project to do. So right about when I was first going to college, we thought, well, you know, I'd always liked the Herbie the Love Bug movies and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure out how they did all the, the shots in them, uh, all the mechanical effects, which are really quite good mm-hmm. uh, in those Herbie movies, uh, was kind of what inspired me to become a mechanical engineer. Mm-hmm. So we're like, well, let's make a Herbie and uh kind of went from there you know for herbie then i got two herbies then uh you know i'm going doing charity events with these mm-hmm. herbies and uh decided i need another movie car that has air conditioning <laughs> so uh, so i got a, a james bond car it was a bmw and kind of kind of went from there from tomorrow never dies. from tomorrow never dies the the rocket launching it's a great movie car because mm-hmm. it's got four seats, a huge trunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets terrible gas mileage, but everything other than that, it's a fantastic car. And it's uh, I drive it to work every day. And then on the weekends when I'm going to a, a charity event for police or you know, for autism or, or, or to do a fundraiser for Make-A-Wish, I put the, the rocket launcher on it and the gadgets and I pull out some Bond props and, and hook up the rear seat so that kids can sit back there and play James Bond video games. Hmm. And nobody's the wiser. It's the coolest car ever. And it's just a boring, uh, you know, commuter car. (laughs) So, um, when you were making Herbie, uh, at the time, was there like a lot of research around to figure out how they did it? Or were you just having to figure it out, you know, from scratch? Well, you know, a stock Herbie is really easy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a bug. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a bug. It's got a sunroof, and you paint it a slightly off-white, slightly gray shade of white. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get really fancy, you put widened wheels on it. Uh, and the stickers are available from a man in Florida uh, named Greg Carr. Mm-hmm. And you can find them at lovebugfans.com, and they're 90 bucks. And that's it. That's probably one of the cheapest custom cars that you can find hmm. uh, to make a movie cars. You get a bug, you put stickers on it. Mm-hmm. So what all my research was is... Figuring out, you know, we were building the car from a wreck, or mm-hmm. not, not a wreck, but, you know, it was completely pulled down to the body. So we had to decide, well, the outside color, to try and get it right, we could get the right color of white. And for the inside color, we did something that not a lot of Herbies do, but they did in the movie, and I thought was kind of a neat story, is they took the entire interiors of those cars, and because the uh, the lights 
and the lenses and the film stock in the 60s wasn't very good. They had to overlight everything. Mm -hmm. So uh, to avoid glare on the actors' faces, they painted the entire interior of the car gray. Hmm. And um, the the last Herbie movie they did with Lindsay Lohan, they're like, eh, we don't need to do this. <laughs> right, right. We've, we've got our lights figured out. We don't need to do this. But it was kind of a fun fun piece. So my Herbie is a gray interior and uh, just added all the little widgets. And the big jump was in, I think it was 2006, 2007. Mm -hmm. I had been uh, on the, the lovebugfans.com forum. And there was a man named Gail Love who made the world's greatest Herbie car. It was everything you could have wanted. That's one of the things that I love about props is the actual prop that they used on set is usually a lot less interesting than what you think of. I mean, the, the bridge of the Enterprise is literally a plexiglass panel with a light bulb behind it. Mm -hmm. But the actors are playing with it and pretending that it's a computer. Right. Um, the, uh, the Herbie the Love Bug stunt cars, they're, they're cool, but they do one trick. They drive fast, or they look pretty so that the camera can get within 10 feet of them and not, and it doesn't look like a wreck, mm -hmm. or they had one gadget. Mm -hmm. And what Gail Love did for his son, Stephen, is he put all the gadgets on there. It was this complete robotic car. It can bounce up and down on hydraulics. The hood opens. The doors open. The headlights are on servo so they can gimbal in every direction and look at you. It squirts water. And it talks via RF to three robotic teddy bears. So he just sets it in front of a children's hospital or mm -hmm. another charity event and hits go on his laptop and walks away. And it's a half an hour show. Wow. It's the coolest thing you've ever seen. You should uh -huh. check it out on YouTube. Uh -huh. I mean, it's the coolest thing if you've ever seen if you're five. Mm -hmm. um, I still appreciate the amount of engineering effort involved. Mm -hmm. But he came up with a kit. Mm -hmm. That you of all these tricks that you could bolt onto a car and keep it street legal, mm -hmm. and so I saved up my pennies and got that, and that gave me a good head start on how to make robotics, mm -hmm. and so I just kept on hacking his kit and adding little bits and pieces, and that sort of <laughs> that was the audition that got me the TARDIS console gig because oh, right, yeah. Paul Paul really Paul and his kids loved Herbie and they loved all the stuff they could do with it and they showed me this prop. It's like this is this is a gorgeous piece of art, mm -hmm. but it doesn't do anything. You can mm -hmm. plug it in, some of it lights up, and some of the, the you turn some of the dials and the lights around. It's like oh, yeah. let's remember. make it into this, let's make it into a Herbie. Let's make it into something that people gather around and have fun with. Right, right. That actually sort of mimics what it did in the TV movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So again, it's taking taking a prop that uh, you know in the show required a lot of acting and a lot of imagination <laughs> yeah. on the actor's part to say this works you know ray guns they don't fire rays no. <laughs> you know the, the guy has to stand completely still and <laughs> and make sure that the ray that's going to be added on on the end of his gun and post doesn't mm -hmm. wobble around yep. and make it look terrible um, um well, i thought the coolest thing uh the coolest thing but one of the most interesting things we found on that thing was the little strings Below the console. Yes! That indicated stagehands had to make the little levers move and stuff. Well, you know? my, uh, you know, this one of the stories, uh, and when you have a movie car, you get, every movie car owner, you talk to them, you say, oh, what are your five questions? Mm -hmm. Because there are five things that you're going to get asked, and you come up with a better and better answer for them and, mm -hmm. and make it an entertaining story. And the TARDIS console, one of the five questions is, uh, well, how do they make it work? And I say, well, it's grip technology, <laughs> meaning they got a union guy to lay on his back and pull on a string or something and make it work. Mm -hmm. Like the, uh, 
uh, at the end of the movie, there's a little clock that that uh, that jumps back and that, that right. uh, backs up so that, to show that it's going back in time. And they literally stuffed a grip underneath the console and stuck his arm up there, and he's twirling it with his finger <laughs> to get it to. And then they sped up the film because nobody can twirl it as fast as it does in the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. that's that's the way they did it and that's the correct way but nobody wants to nobody wants to lay on the floor and and show that off 10 times a day at a convention so i added a gear motor and uh, but it's a great story so that's the story that that i told everybody uh, every time they wanted to play with the clock it's like so this is how it was done in the movie it was called grip technology right. and everybody got a kick out of that but uh, so so for those wondering, yes, the, it's a beautiful uh, restoration, but it is no longer screen accurate um, to uh, what they did. Which you know, some people get it uh, get weird about that. But I think you know what? It's an improvement. We've we've made it as you would imagine it should be, which is really I think what you have to deliver with that. Well, this this is a really interesting thing that we can talk about not not just about Herbie's or Tardis consoles, but any prop. If you're gonna if you're gonna get a screen use piece yeah. and restore it. Mm-hmm. Where do you draw the line? Right. Because most of this stuff is cheap. I mean, like, um, you know, my, my second Herbie that I got, which is the Herbie's evil twin, Horace the Hate Bug. Mm-hmm. I bought it and is a death trap. I replaced the entire drivetrain on that car and I agonized about every piece because I didn't want to lose my investment in this, you know, this this piece of film history. Mm-hmm. But on the same time, it's like, I want to drive this thing. Mm-hmm. So I took every piece off and kept it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, when you're restoring a screen use prop, if you don't muck about with the art and the intention of the piece, then it's fair game to modernize the electronics or modernize the innards. Unless, of course, they're a really good story, in which case, if you want to modernize it, keep the old one, show it next to the prop and say, okay, this is how they did it. Like the, like the clock. Mm-hmm. It's a great story. Mm-hmm. I'd really hate to see that be lost because that's one of the best, most fun anecdotes about that prop. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, likewise with the, the lights on the TARDIS console, it's, it was designed to be, they'd run extension cords to a guy who had a stage lighting controller and he would play it like a piano. Mm-hmm. And uh, you need somebody very skilled uh, to sit there all day and make this thing look interesting mm-hmm. uh, at a convention. So took it out, uh, added a uh, added a Christmas light lighting controller right. that we had uh, that we uh, beefed up in certain ways and changed in certain ways. Used as much as the old uh, wiring as was prudent. Kept kept everything tied out of the tied it out of the way. Anything that we wanted to change, and made it work. And everybody loved it. Yeah. Uh, and for me, it's whenever there's any kind of safety involved, just modernize it. So let's dive into the Star Trek bridge. Now, I know that uh, Houston and uh, yourself are kind of the, the head guys behind this. Why don't we talk about that? Well, I'd say Houston's the head guy, mm-hmm. just like I'd say Paul Salamoff is the head guy uh, on the TARDIS project that sure. we did last year. Mm-hmm. You know, both of them, and actually this is, this is an interesting thing, is that they're both... Uh, quite similar uh, skill sets. I mean, Paul has a lot more sculpting background, mm-hmm. so that he was able to get his hands more dirty on the on the TARDIS project. So both Paul and Houston are sort of safeguarding the art, mm-hmm. and 
looking out for the art, which allows me to muck about with the technical bits, mm -hmm. which is where it's kind of fun to be. I mean, I enjoy getting my hands dirty in the art, but the technical bits are where my, uh, where my set of skills lies. So in regards to like, well, let's start with, I mean, I've, I've seen it. I've seen the pieces. Houston showed it to me. Uh, and they definitely look like they're in need of a lot of tender loving care, short of maybe a couple of the chairs. So where 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 is that at? I mean, how how does that process begin to to bring it out back up to snuff? Well, what we're doing is we are, you know, from t-shirt sales and you know essentially our bank accounts, we're restoring what we can. Now you know, based on you know the budget of the TARDIS project, this stuff is expensive. It, yes, it, it starts to add up. I mean, honestly, if you're doing a restoration project and you go to Home Depot and you don't come back with at least $100 worth of stuff, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so we're uh, right now, Houston Huddleston, and uh, the, uh, the lead of the, the Star Trek bridge project, New Starship, and I are you know, working within our limited means right now to restore the pieces that are in the best shape. So right now that's... Um, that's the two side chairs uh, that sit on the either side of the captain's chair that uh, Troy and Riker hung out at. Right. Their first officer and counselor or something like that. And then uh, we also have a very talented artisan uh, over in the Midwest named Rusty Harrell, mm -hmm. who uh, worked on Trek, I believe, at some point. And um, he's, uh, he's quite a sculptor. He's got sort of Paul's skill set mm -hmm. he is restoring the captain's chair mm -hmm. and the captain's chair is just going to look fantastic he's he's going all out and making sure that it's going to look nicer than the original prop because it's going to it's going to be we're going to look at it much closer than it ever did yeah mm -hmm. so we're restoring the little bits and pieces that we can sort of as a proof of concept to show like here's what we can do with what we've got mm -hmm. we can restore a couple pieces really nicely uh, but it's not the whole set. Mm -hmm. Then what we've done is we've gone to Kickstarter and Indiegogo and all the Star Trek fans and say, look, we would like to make this an interactive exhibit. Mm -hmm. Make it a lot of fun for everybody. Sure. And that's just going to take a lot more than any of us have. Sure. So we made it into a 501c nonprofit organization. Um, there are a lot of people that were involved with Star Trek that are donating items. You know, They'll autograph them or... Um, or even, uh, you know, uh, Ron D. Moore, uh, who worked on both Star Trek The Next Generation and Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah. He's been giving us all kinds of cool Battlestar Galactica stuff. Awesome. And uh, it's quite a test of willpower to not want to take some of this stuff home because it's mm -hmm. so cool, but it's to, it's to fund the set. So right. what we're doing is we're getting all these donations. Mm -hmm. We're coming up with little bits and pieces that we can give to people, uh, either bits and pieces of the original set that we're no longer going to use mm -hmm. or uh, props that we can come up with and make enough of a, a profit margin that it actually makes sense to help fund the set. And we're going to put together as big of a pile of money as we can, mm -hmm. and we're going to make the world's greatest, largest interactive Star Trek toy. Uh, we're going to put touchscreen computers mm -hmm. in all the stations... Wow. Uh, we've got a, a small army of volunteers who are lining up who want to help us program these computers to make a bridge simulation that's better than anything you've ever seen before. You know, uh, you know multi-adventure, multi multi-choice uh, multi 
bridge adventure where every station gets to do something. You know, one station gets to set the shields, one station mm-hmm. gets to fire torpedoes, the other one gets to take care of the hailing frequencies, mm-hmm. and the main screen's doing 3D of what's going on, mm-hmm. and it's all going to be interactive, and it's, it's going to be fantastic. And a lot of Star Trek fans are really appreciating what we're trying to do with this, and they're they're opening up their hearts and their wallets to to help us out and get the thing funded. It's going to be a long haul, but it's it's going to be really bloody awesome when it's done. The Star Trek bridge is not screen used. Uh, it was the screen use set was blown to pieces for the Star Trek Generations movie so that they could move a Voyager set in there oh, on that uh, on that soundstage. <laughs> But it still was popular. I mean, uh, they said that the night after they they wrecked the set and they did the final scene of you know uh, of uh, Picard and Riker beaming up. Yeah. The next morning, the captain's chair was gone. Somebody, some stagehand, had stolen it. Uh. <laughs> but this set was built in the mid '90s mm-hmm. by Paramount mm-hmm. uh, using you know the reference materials that they used for the original set and mm-hmm. blueprint and right. new blueprints uh, for touring exhibition in Europe. Mm-hmm. Which is great for two reasons. One, it's not the screen use piece, so we don't have to we don't have to feel quite so bad if to make it look as good as people remember, we have to replace a piece of it, mm-hmm. or we have to reskin a piece of fiberglass. Now, if that was the screen use set, we would try and save every iota of the set, of course, at all possible. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, we use it as a template. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to be using quite a bit of what's there. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, something's gone, it's gone. We build a new one, we make it better. Right. Mm-hmm. Which some people, some people are really kind and, and open about their collections. Like yeah. your, your friend Wally Wingert mm-hmm. is fantastic. And, you know, he's got his website detailing all the stuff. When I was into Andy Kaufman, I, that's the first site I found. Oh, wow. You know, with all of his, uh, with all of his suits. Mm-hmm. And then Paul Salomov, not only... You know, when I approached him, I said, you know, I used to watch this movie when I was a kid and I loved it. It was like Back to the Future. I watched it 30, 40 times. Mm -hmm. I wore out my VHS tape. Mm -hmm. He said, come on by. I'd love to have you see the prop. That takes a lot to do. Mm -hmm. You know, that's... That's not what most of the collectors would do. No. Uh, and we're really lucky <laughs> that these pieces like the Star Trek bridge or the console or, uh, you know, some of these other movie cars that I know about, that they want to take these out and share them with everybody. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand you, you want to be safe with them, but I think they're better seen by the public than, you know, put away, you know, um, well, away from prying eyes or sunlight. It makes me feel like, well, what's the point of having it then? Right. Well, that's... That was my point with the with the screen used Herbie car and all my other cars. It's like, well, if I can't drive it, it's not a car. Mm-hmm. It's it's a paperweight. Mm-hmm. I need to make this drivable and go have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know, to be fair, the um, there is a lot of wear and tear that happens, and so it takes a very large leap of faith for somebody who has a screen used piece, especially something that is one of a kind, irreplaceable, mm-hmm. to bring it out and just. Say fans, okay, touch, enjoy. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I'm really proud to be a part of both of those projects because that's so rare and so much fun. Because, you know, honestly, you know, when I was a kid, I would have given anything to go see an original Herbie the Love Bug car. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, they were all being held by collectors and nobody was talking about them publicly or anything mm-hmm. like that. And now, you know, uh, there's enough people around that, you know, 
they get people who are fans of Star Trek get to do the same thing I was with Herbie. They get to see the prop mm-hmm. up close, mm-hmm. and that's another reason why we kind of we upgrade as much as is prudent to not interfere with the art, but let it let it be as impressive as as it is in their minds. Exactly, exactly. I mean, <laughs> well, that that gets in that whole thing with with hand props. You know, there uh, I've heard stories about people who handle stuff from Star Trek or any sci-fi show. And they'll say how in your mind's eye you're imagining this wonderful communicator, you know, listening and perfect, <laughs> and you see it up close, and it's some, you know, dinged up piece of wood, you know, and right. And well, it's because it has to look good on camera. That's it. Yeah, and the thing is, uh, there's a real big difference between a ten foot prop mm-hmm. and a close up hero prop. Mm-hmm. You know, even like the Batman movies, the hugely expensive Batman movies, they'll only make one of a batarang or a, or a you know a bat widget that is supposed to look good for a close-up so that you can see it activating or, you know, see bits flip out. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them, they're foam rubber castings. Right. I mean, I've got from uh, the James Bond movies that, that uh, I take out to charity shows with the car, mm-hmm. I've got some foam rubber guns that were used in fight scenes, and they look pretty good about a foot away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you handle them, it's like, this isn't a real gun. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way this is a real gun. Right. But they used them in fight scenes because the stuntmen are flying around and they don't want to have to worry about trying to uh, keep from giving their, their fellow stunt person a concussion from mm-hmm. holding a 20... 20 pound gun right you know it's a foam rubber that bends out of the way is a lot a lot safer true and it looks good from a foot away yeah it looks good from a foot away i mean how close can you get the camera right exactly yeah and but uh, you know it's it's fun Uh, you know i've talked to people who've worked on star trek and you know the original props they're very iconic Mm -hmm. but the build quality is pretty bad it was all it was designed for standard def right very true whereas now you know, honestly, a lot of the props that are being built now mm-hmm. are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I was able to see uh, Nick Roboto, the talented sculptor who's doing a lot of the, uh, the the work on the new Doctor Who series. Right. I went to Comic-Con. I showed him the, the little uh, the little Sonic ripoff that I made for the Inspector Spacetime web mm-hmm. series. Right. And uh, I got to see one of his uh, Sonic screwdrivers that he had hand-built. The thing's gorgeous. It looks like... Uh, it looks... It looks like a uh, renaissance era lamp it's mm. made out of brass and and it's detailed to uh, detailed to the tiniest detail and there's gorgeous artistic swirls in the resin that he's put on there hmm. and there is no way the bbc would have paid for such a beautiful prop in the classic series because it's all standard def and it was done on the cheap oh yeah i mean they, what is it the um it was uh, the original Sonic was uh, was a prop that they cribbed from Thunderbird, something yeah, like that. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, they put yeah. a they put a bullet on the end, and they said, "Yeah, that's that's our iconic prop." Mm-hmm. Well, they weren't thinking in those terms back then. That <laughs> uh, became that. Yeah, um, you know, I, I often ask people when they're when they're in costume. Uh, you know, at, at like a convention or something, if they have a standout experience, especially uh, uh, with children, uh, do you have anything like that when you say you have been having your cars at these charity events? Do you have a standout experience doing that? Oh, heavens me, yes. Um, the robotics on Herbie. Because I'll, uh, you know, I think one stands out in particular. I was doing a science, uh, there, there was a science um, fundraiser for a, uh, a school in LA mm-hmm. and everybody brought all their cool stuff out 
to try and uh, to try and help the science program for this little school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was in Yorba Linda or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they had steam engines and they had fire trucks and they had science demonstrations and all this stuff. And all the kids are having a good time. I put my Robo Herbie out and walk away with the remotes. And if I get the puppeteering right, you know, it depends on the age of the child. Right. But you know, sometimes. 30 seconds, sometimes a minute, sometimes five minutes. Mm-hmm. They're convinced that the car is alive mm-hmm. and it's a friend. Mm-hmm. And that sort of sense of wonder and magic, mm-hmm. I, I truly wish there was more of that in this world because the world's quite cynical mm-hmm. and unappealing. But it's, it's astounding to watch their faces light up when they think Herbie's alive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of them, some of them, you know, they walk away and they have fun and some of them figure it out and they get a little snarky and I bring them over and I'm like, okay, here's the remote control. Press that button and it'll squirt your friend. Uh, and we, we go on that and I've just had so many fantastic shows with the Star Car Central charity group mm-hmm. with Herbie. And it's, you know, the other cars are good too. Um, Horace, a little bit more difficult because he's the villain. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you've got to have your snidely whiplash attitude on for the day Mm because that's what Horace the hate bug is, this sort of snidely whiplash villain. Mm -hmm. Um, But Herbie, there have been so many times where I've gotten to see pure, undiluted magic. Mm -hmm. And uh, worth every penny that I put into that car. (laughs) And there have been a a few pennies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I've rebuilt it twice. Oh, wow. Um, so, let me think here. Uh, well, I don't know if you have one, but conversely, do you do you have a, um, uh, a mishap or, or worst experience when doing this? <laughs> well, I would say it's a worst experience. Can we call it snarkiest experience? Okay. I was at a 4th of July show uh, this last year with C.J. DeAngelis. Have you had him on your podcast yet? No, I haven't mean to. You yeah, should. He and I are good friends. So he's yeah. a good guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he does a lot of great... He, he's, he's got a great eye for costumes and art. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's like Paul and uh, Houston. He's got a good eye for the art. Um, C.J. and I are uh, puppeteering Herbie. Mm-hmm. And we've got a crowd of, I don't know, 60 or 70 CBS studio people and their kids. Mm-hmm. And George Barris's handler um, is hanging out near the car for some reason. I don't know. He's talking to you know somebody who's got the car next to me, and he gets squirted by Herbie. Mm-hmm. And you know he he says you know and he he just turns around absolutely furious, <laughs> and uh, you know says that you know that's I'm gonna break that effing car. The uh, the uh, you know that's the sort of trick that I used to pull on people at bus stations, squirting people. You should be ashamed. <laughs> and and you know I, I I don't even know how to I didn't even know how to respond to that sort of uh, angriness. Um, so you know I, I I just said you know I'm I'm very sorry, but you know the, the squirters aren't adjustable. <laughs> um, so if you stand six inches to the left mm-hmm. or six inches to the right. It'll no longer be a problem, mm-hmm. and this crowd over here of eighty people that are that are screaming to be squirted, I can keep them happy too. I mm-hmm. hope you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Kind of stomped off in a huff. Nice. <laughs> so that I, that's the worst. I mean, and that's that's snarky. I mean, it's not bad. I've never had a bad experience with Herbie mm-hmm. uh, at a show. I mean, I've had plenty of bad experiences with Herbie because it's a, it's a fifty year old car and it's broken down on me and I've sworn at it quite a bit. Sure, sure. <laughs> 
it's uh I've had plenty of problems with that cover never it shows it's always been very positive very friendly and, and really nice now would you say you have a, a favorite convention or event that you've gone to either with the cars or, or props or anything of the above well it's funny because i've um you know i just with you and and paul i got into the convention thing i went to the doctor who convention gallifrey one yeah gallifrey one i thought sci-fi i mean i'd done a couple conventions with herbie mm -hmm. and it was a good time you know people came by in costume they had a good time with the car it ended in about four hours mm -hmm. and i was ready to be done um there was high priced junk for sale, sure. you know, stuff that was twice what it would go for on eBay. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, you know, conventions, yeah, they're okay. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Gallifrey, and Gallifrey is great. Mm -hmm. Gallifrey 1 is like a party yeah. <laughs> where everybody's dressed up. And that's why, you know, inspired by the Gallifrey 1 on your your podcast, I'm, I'm starting to do the dress-up thing again after, you know, after a 15-year hiatus. I was going to say, after quite a long hiatus. Yeah, um, because... It, what what struck me about Gallifrey uh, that was just so fantastic is everybody uh, that's working on that show essentially is coming over from Britain, mm -hmm. and they're jet lagged. Yeah. <laughs> so they have they 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 kind of make their way through their panels, mm -hmm. and then at about nine o'clock at night, they um, they're awake. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so there's this huge group of people that just hang out in the lobby and buy the people that are on the show drinks and has well, a good time con. yeah they, they call it lobby con mm -hmm. and i even got into that too i was talking to a whole bunch of them like yeah i did the you know i fixed the mushroom table the the tardis console are you having a good time did you like it yeah and everybody had a good time i didn't get a free drink out of it but you know <laughs> we're getting there mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was um it was a very fun community it's um and nobody takes themselves too seriously I hope all the conventions are like that. Uh, when I start going around with the Star Trek set, I hope the Star Trek fans are as cool as the Doctor Who fans. I'm sure they are, because all the ones that I've met are super cool mm -hmm. and really fun and don't take themselves too seriously. And uh, they're just... It's its like a stand-up act. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like an Eddie Izzard thing where he's riffing on uh, bits, uh, bits and pieces of daily life that sort of tie into you. So the, the convention strikes me more as... Uh, sort of a, a shared joke everybody <laughs> everybody sort of knows enough of the references that you can throw out the obscure jokes oh, and everybody yeah. has a good time yeah, yeah. and uh, it's really it's really quite fun mm -hmm. like that because you know the cars it's a different experience oh sure. it's um sure because most of the time they're they're not you know really into the minutia mm -hmm. of the of the particular car now i've met some people at these events that mm -hmm. you know really into herbie and it's a good time you, mm -hmm. you you do the shared references and the jokes and things like that they're really into james bond oh yeah there are a few more of those herbie right. a little less popular right um but for the most part it's been fun just seeing you know the first reaction and and watching people's memories fire up of the the, the good memories that they've had with those franchises mm -hmm. um but it's not the, it, there's not the sort of sense of instant camaraderie. It's more of you're putting on a show for them. Right. Which is, it's fun, mm. but it's a different experience. Sure. Whereas Gallifrey, even when I'm putting on a show for people and trying to entertain the people who are, who are sitting waiting in line to touch Paul's console and, mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to give them all, you know, the individual uh, effort. I don't know if you saw. I had, I had you know five or six jokes that I'd give to everybody. You know, it's like I was running around so much. Yeah. No. Yeah. When we when when we had the photo booths, right. I think you were working the donation booth. Yeah. Which, isn't that great? Uh, that was that was uh, that was better than some of my car events. 
we, we raised over $1,000 for Students Run LA just by saying, hey, go play with the console, and if you like it, throw a couple bucks in the jar. Yeah. Uh, yep, <laughs> that yeah. Was, no. That was great. It was a very, uh, very tight-knit community, and I felt like a part of it, mm-hmm. you know, even though you've been there for a day. It was cool. <laughs> Gallifrey's very welcoming. And, and by the way, did you get your membership for this year taken care of? Yeah. Yeah, because you know they sold out. Yes, they did. Yeah. Well, uh, I have been invited back as a volunteer because not only am I going to be uh, probably babysitting the TARDIS console and mm-hmm. uh, and doing all the little technical widgets on it, uh, but I'm but we're gonna have the Star Trek bridge there. That's right, of course. So that'll be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. It, boy, what a crossover that's going to be because the plan right now is to have the console and the bridge in the same room, and I I, I don't know if the universe can take it. Um, you know. I don't know. I, I think they're both pretty groovy. Oh, no, <laughs> I think they could take it. They, they could take it. I'm just now, trying I've, to imagine it, that's all. What, what I find is really funny, because, you know, when I've been talking to the Star Trek fans, because, mm-hmm. you know, there are quite a few of them that are interested in working on this project, mm-hmm. and we're trying, one of the things we're trying to do is trying not to monopolize the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only because it's less work for us, but it means that everybody can point at that and say, well, I built that. I yes. did a part of that. Yes. And you can get a much larger um, you know, crowd that has the pride of ownership, which is one of the best parts sure. of these projects. Sure. But uh, I've been talking to them, and it's been really fun to see how many of the Star Trek fans are Doctor Who fans. Uh-huh. But sometimes some of them are like, oh, Doctor Who, it's this sort of hipster thing and they don't take themselves seriously um and then you know the the uh, you know the doctor who fans are like oh you're a star trek fan i'm doing this this great big you know i did the mushroom table i'm doing this great big computer room it'll be uh-huh. fun uh-huh. and they're like star trek star trek so 1960s <laughs> it's like so's doctor who <laughs> so's your mom you know it's you know it's <laughs> but it's it's really quite fun to see how how much of a crossover there is and also how much the people can't stand each other? Yeah, there is sometimes friction. In, in <laughs> well, it's like I'm lucky because what I'll have to do is I'll have to I'll have to get in on some sort of Star Wars thing, and then Uh-oh. I'll be able to pit them all against each there other. You go. Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Who, Inspector Space Time, Batman, yeah, Herbie, go fight cage, cage match. <laughs> I'm there. I'm all Although the Batman fans, they're they're a bit more buff. They'll they'll take them out. Oh, okay. Well, usually <laughs> depends on which era of Batman. But I'll yeah, yeah. Um, so you didn't you didn't do the convention circuit much even when you were younger and you were first getting into all this stuff. No, well, it's, the funny thing is I never had any money for it. Mm. Oh, okay, because so I, you know, I, I that's one of the reasons probably why I've done so many props and things is, mm-hmm. you know, even with the Star Trek, it was a case of yes, yeah, somebody was selling a a, a really cool communicator, it was a hundred dollars, mm-hmm. or I could get a twenty dollar one from the toy store right. and fix it myself. Yeah. Um, so I. I got really close to doing a Doctor Who convention, but there wasn't, as far as I know, there wasn't one in L.A. I didn't know about Gallifrey. Yeah, Gallifrey's been going since 90, but I, I know. Yeah, so, I've been here since 95, and I did not know about Gallifrey. So I think, you know, the, I think the, the time I was doing it, like, I was so into Doctor Who back then. Uh-huh. I, 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 the mind reels. <laughs> I was so into Doctor Who back then. I, I had My first published work was actually in a Doctor Who fanzine. Nice. Um, I did a little, a little story about Sylvester McCoy, um, getting sad because he killed you know an entire race of people or something like wow. that. Um, um, it, was, it was it was. But I I was looking into going to a Doctor Who convention. It's like oh, it's, you know the the convention in the mid nineties. It was like fifty bucks or something like. That. Well, so I thought well I can go to this convention for fifty bucks, or I can buy on spray paint and make something. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so I made something. Yeah. I think I probably made the entire TARDIS toolkit for the 50 bucks. Right. Yeah. Now, just so I'm clear, you, you were basically born and raised here in the L.A. area? Or? Uh, well, I was born in the Bay Area, but uh-huh. I've basically been in, in L.A. since the toddler phase. Okay. Wow. No, it, I mean, then, yeah, you've... I mean, pretty much, yeah, you had Gallifrey, which is amazing, because I'm from Minnesota, where after about 88, 89, we had nothing. I mean, not Doctor yeah. Who. We had our creation Star Trek cons, our comic book conventions, and that was it. That was all I had. And um, so I'm actually envious that you actually even had the option to have a regular Doctor Who con. Right, yeah, and I almost went, but I thought, well, you know, and this was when I had all the costumes, like, oh, am I going to dress up? Should I have a good costume? Mm-hmm. Or and, was, and I was just looking at, like, because, you know, my family, you know, nobody was a Doctor Who fan as much as I was. I mean, like, the guys that I was doing the Mystery Science movie with, right. they're kind of Doctor Who fans. Right. Otherwise, they wouldn't sit through Time in the Ronnie and think right. about ten times to do all the jokes. <laughs> right, right. I ended up writing most of them because they could, they, they sure. left after the first half an hour every time we screen it. So right. if you ever watch it, and you shouldn't, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> if you ever watch our movie... Um, the, um, the first half an hour is all the good jokes. Yeah. And then after that, it's just me trying to do three different voices and it's kind of obvious. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> is this on YouTube for people? To no, see? no. Oh, okay. Heavens well. no. Okay. Um, although, you know, I have to say the Mystery Science Theater 3000 people were really cool because mm-hmm. I said, hey, can I make a Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie? And they said, yes, don't make any money off of it. And don't and don't sell it and don't uh, and don't say that you're mis- you know official mystery science theater three thousand, but go ahead and have some fun. Mm-hmm. Sort of like what CBS. You know, I mean, with slightly more caveats, but it's sort of what CBS is doing with the bridge set, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, actually, the funny thing is, Doctor Who is the same way. I mean, I went to Comic Con mm-hmm. this uh, this year. Yeah. And uh, saw the uh, the James Bond cars and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. Did, did a little bit of networking, but one of them was uh, you know networking for you know the round of console upgrades. And I met a guy with the BBC, and I was just telling about all the fun things that we did with it. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, "That's fantastic. We're really glad you did it." That, well, that's good. And well, the, but you know, the BBC Doctor Who's a hot property right. now. They could have easily been within the rights to say, "Yes, that's great." You cannot say you're from Doctor Who. You cannot take that to any convention. Mm-hmm. And uh, we really don't want to see you on the internet. And that's because that's the writer. Uh, that's the contract that comes with every Warner Brothers Batmobile. Oh. Which is, you may not call this a Batmobile. You may not drive this on public roads. You may not, uh, you may not advertise this as a, a WB property in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, we reserve the right to buy it back for the original purchase price at any time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you may, uh, you may, you know, you, you can never sell it without letting us know. Wait, so this is all for screen used Batmobiles? Yeah, for screen used Batmobiles. Okay. Yeah. What about, would this also go for replica Batmobiles, you think? Well, Warner Brothers has been, I mean, honestly, the, um, there's a lot of hearsay and rumors, so I honestly don't know what's truth or what's not, but I do know that several Batmobile shells have been crushed by Warner Brothers with cease and desists, hmm. and that um, the, the the specter of Warner Brothers is such for Batmobile builders that you need to <laughs> you need to you need to talk to them first. It's like with the Star Trek set, we tried to do it right. We mm-hmm. talked to them first. Mm-hmm. We don't want to step on your property, that that and so forth. Mm-hmm. Whereas most most people are just like, it's a car. It's your car. Go have some fun with it. Right. Wow. 
No, that's that's uh, that's interesting, and it's cool that he had that reaction. Actually, you never told me that part. That's really neat. No, I had. Well, it was such a little. You know, that was that was the same time I met Rick Nick Roboto, which that guy is cool, man. Mm, I hope very. he can. I hope he can come over to Gallifrey, and I can I can buy him a few pints because uh, you know he's he's an amazing sculptor, mm-hmm. and his eye for uh, de- shapes and detail is really mm-hmm. cool. I'd like to learn a couple things from him. Yeah, um, no, I, I, and he also. Um, he complimented me on the the little the, the laser cut widget that I made for Inspector Space Time. So. Inspector Space Time. So we got to talk about Inspector Space Time. All right, let's dive in. So okay, well first, for legal reasons, we can no longer call it Inspector Space Time. We need to call it the Untitled Web Series about a space traveler who can also travel in time. Ah, very on the nose. That's the yeah. um. <laughs> See that's the that's the the converse uh, you know the con- the converse side of the or the opposite side of uh, you know this sort of fan love that we've been getting from CBS and BBC is Travis Ritchie who I met at Gallifrey right which this is a pretty good story so I'm gonna have to divulge I'm gonna have to you know digress a little bit um, Travis um, we uh, we just met him and he was playing with the console and he was having a good time uh, let me roll that back um travis we met at the console and how he was having a good time and he was probably playing with it a little bit too rough because i don't think he realized it was the one from the show oh and so he said oh yeah we had one of these when i was a kid with my brother and we played doctor who and so he was running about like matt smith and flicking switches as fast as he can and stuff Uh like that we told no this is the this is the actual prop but uh you know it was very enthusiastic he's having a good time and at the the last day of the convention, you know, after we, you know, after we'd had that very long night putting you in the Morbius costume, oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, and after you know the third day where you know being cheery for the hundreds of people that lined up to take free photos with Scott and, and Paul at the console mm-hmm. was getting getting a little tiring, and you know I was having a good time, but I was tired, I yeah. was beat, yeah, uh, because I think sat, Sunday morning I got up at, and I was the first one at the console because I wanted to get it ready because it needed two hours of prep. I remember, so I was there at six or something like that and went to bed at two the night before. Yeah. Like that. I remember. Um, but um, so very tired. Travis comes in with his film crew, mm-hmm. and uh, probably my favorite moment of the entire convention. Even Trump's meeting uh, Paul McGann and Daphne Ashbrook were both very charming. And mm-hmm. it, this That's tells probably. you this tells you how cool this was. Travis goes and improvises a skit with the TARDIS console that basically is me yelling at it the week before, yeah. <laughs> but with better jokes. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, I saw what he was trying to do, and I, I, I found out about space time. I watched a couple of YouTube videos. It was, mm-hmm. it was really fun. Yeah. It was sort of the first thing I'd ever seen that was about fandom, mm-hmm. which I, I'm a big fan of fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, a lot of fun. It's sort of like a, sort of like I was describing the conventions. It's a shared joke that everybody can have a good time with. Right. That's, what's, that's what Inspector Untitled Web Series is. Mm-hmm. So I just said, hey, you want me to build you a prop or something? I, I've got you know, a couple weeks free. And he said, yeah, let's do, let's do the optic pocket knife. This, and you know, you have to, you have to realize that, uh, you know, when I was a, when I was a, uh, a toddler, no teenager, preteen, mm-hmm. um, and I was doing all this doctor who stuff, mm-hmm. I had all the doctor who props, sonic screwdrivers. There weren't any official ones. I had made all of them. I right. made my own like a lightsaber. Um, Did you have the TARDIS technical manual by any chance? Yes, okay. I had the TARDIS technical manual. And that's why all my sonic screwdrivers are rubbish and way too big. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I also had the world's first website about Doctor Who gadgets uh, back in the days of GeoCities. Nice. Meaning I had flashing GIFs everywhere. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, now now there's great websites about all the, all the gadgets and widgets and whatnots from mm -hmm. Doctor Who, but I was the first. Mm -hmm. And so he said, do you want to make a sonic screwdriver? And the only appropriate answer is yes. <laughs> we will make the optic pocket knife. Mm-hmm. And so this was a, it was really fun because, you know, we had been going back and forth about what, what kind of design he wanted. He had gotten the, um, he'd gotten the cease, not the cease and desist letter, mm -hmm. but he had, he had somebody from Sony Legal ask him, would you please not call it Inspector Space Time and not use our costume, our Blorgons, or our Constable Reggie character, which were in community because they're a property. Mm. And so he said, yes, sure. You know, honestly, apart from the name Inspector Spacetime, it was all sort of our own idea anyway, and more just kind of poking fun at all the different fandom tropes. Mm -hmm. It was basically an old episode of Doctor Who, right? Um, you know, expanded and, and trying to flesh out this character like all the people had done on the internet. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about what, what should this prop be, and I went to a, uh, a party that was put on by the Replica Prop Forum, which is, if you're not on the Replica Prop Forum and you're listening to this, get on the Replica Prop Forum. Uh, TheRPF.com. Yes. Anything you can think of that you want to build, 10 people have already done it before you, and uh, you can learn from their mistakes. It's a great resource. Very good resource. And uh, everybody's, especially in person, you know, on, online, you know, when you get a group that size, the troll factor occasionally creeps in. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, especially with sonic screwdrivers. Uh, my we, let's, let's not go into that. That's, that's a deep, dark hole. It's a flashlight, people. Um, <laughs> the um, But... In person, I have met so many cool people at the uh, Replica Prop Form gatherings. I've met Matt Munson and Brad Fife and, and Daniel Pollock, who I gave my knit scarf that my grandmother had made for oh, me right, in the yeah. 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's wearing it with pride, which makes me happy. That's right. Um, but they're all super cool people. So I took, they were having one, so I took Travis, mm -hmm. uh, Travis Ritchie, the, the inspector. Right. And. We just went around and looked at all the cool stuff, and mm -hmm. he basically got his entire production team, uh, you know, his entire prop team from that replica prop form meeting. Nice. So Malachi Keller, oh, extremely yeah. talented person. Very much so. Um, again, jealous he's got the eye for sculpting that I don't. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Malachi Keller made the circuit chap, the slightly more polite version of the killer robot that you may have seen on other science fiction television shows. Mm -hmm. um, he also met Amanda Avery and Becky Jordan, who right. were the costumers. And Becky did this gorgeous coat for uh, the inspector mm -hmm. that kind of looks like a trench coat, like the cheap version that they had on Community, right. but is much cooler. It's sort of like, um, you know, the difference between a... Uh, like uh, say Colin Baker's costume or or um, or William Hartnell's costume mm -hmm. and like you know David Tennant's costume you know it's like kind of the same idea but much cooler mm -hmm. <laughs> okay um, the um, and then uh, Amanda Avery yes. did the uh, both the villain mm -hmm. and the associate uh, the the companion oh and okay. I really like her design for the companion because uh, she came up with some things that kind of look like Rose from Doctor Who and some things that kind of look like Amy from Doctor Who but had their own spin on it. and the, and the the centerpiece of it is this is this delightfully goofy sweater that has pictures of strawberries on it and huh. they're green 
the green on the strawberries is mm -hmm. the same as like the green on her socks and the pink on the strawberries is like the same as pink on other stuff so it's sort of an outfit mm -hmm. but sort of thrown together it was just really cool so Travis, we're at the replica prop form, mm -hmm. and he's got he's got his entire team together, and mm -hmm. they're all really talented and really cool. Mm -hmm. And um, I brought out basically every tool I could think of from my garage that had you know interesting uh, movements. You know, uh, before I met him, I was thinking I was going to base the optic pocket knife around a. Uh, uh, a torque wrench mm -hmm. and so it'd be kind of this long ratcheting thing with a lot of different moving and clicking items and then you'd uh, you'd flick it like matt smith's sonic mm -hmm. and it would have some it would have uh, lenses that would unfold like a flower hmm. and so i was kind of putting some ideas together with that and we just kept on playing with all these tools and he was holding them and he's like okay this size i kind of like this i kind of like and he grabbed this allen key set that i just kind of threw in on a whim mm -hmm. And he said, this is a good size. And then he flipped one of the things out and he says, all right, what if we could do a window that lights up from the side like like plastic? That would look cool. Uh, and then I ran with it. Mm -hmm. And so here it is. And uh, I will show photos. Yeah, you'll show photos guess. of it. And we got to do it on the radio because they never ended up using it in the show. But I worked really hard to get this so that it had a great sound when it flicks open. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's got this sort of... Uh, very satisfying click thunk with a little bit of resonance and it was I was tuning springs and stuff to make that work and, <laughs> and uh, so what we did is he came up with the idea of the um, the uh, the Allen key set mm -hmm. which I was just lucky that uh, I managed to talk with uh, one of the designers of the original Allen key set and he was a big fan of sci-fi so he sent me a few extra pieces nice. so I could put together uh, a bunch of extras for the show and uh, we decided, okay, we'll have this thing open up. And I said, well, it's got a, it's got a flip up. It's got to look cool. And uh, I probably spent about twenty hours making that work. So I wish <laughs> I hadn't made that glib comment about let's make it flip up and make it cool because right, right. that uh, you know this thing's the size of uh, of a pocket knife, you know, one of the larger Swiss Army knives, and it's got eighty parts in it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow um it's because we you know we had to fit a battery we had to fit a high power led mm -hmm. and we uh we wanted something on the end i said well let's make it a laser mm -hmm. um so that we can screw different lenses on it and and then you can have different scanning patterns or it can be a weapon or i've got right now i've got little crosshairs on it nice and um and i also I was looking at the design of the Sonics, and and like you look at the the prop that they used when Eccleston came back, mm -hmm. and if you actually see the prop, it's really disappointing, because the front of it has this really big groove with exposed wiring, and they hated it so much that they always had them turn it away from the camera, and you could never see it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what, this is a cheap show. They don't, they're not going to have time to reshoot anything, so this needs to look perfect from every angle. Mm -hmm. And that, that took a lot of time and effort, you know, in SolidWorks, you know, rotating around like, no, that doesn't look interesting enough. Let's add some grooves or another part or something like that. Sure. And by the time I was done is this, uh, this sort of nightmarish assembly project that can only be assembled one way <laughs> <laughs> over the course of, I think, two. You have to you have to glue half of it together, let it dry, mm -hmm. then glue the other half together and screw it together. So it takes two separate days to put each one of these bloody things together. Um, How many did you do total? I did five. Mm -hmm. 
The first one was finished the night before the shoot. Nice. Um, Travis was getting a bit worried, so I sent him cell phone pictures <laughs> as I was putting it together. Nice. Um, and then I was expecting, because you hear stories of uh, you know the Star Trek communicators or the Sonics or anything like that. You know, Matt Smith says he breaks a Sonic a day mm-hmm. when he's shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I brought an entire kit so that I could rebuild it. I brought as many parts as I had finished, so I essentially had a second one there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether it was because it was built well or because travis you know paid for the prop as well as is using it and mm-hmm. was just really quite conscientious but you know he was flicking it around and making it really animated and, and stuff like that but didn't break didn't you know zero problems the mm-hmm. entire shoot he's still using the one that i threw together the night before he takes it he takes that one to conventions and lets people handle it and nice. play with it and throw it around nice but it's uh it's a fun little little widget um, I know there's uh, enough interest that I'm trying to get the uh, the cost of all these very complicated machines and laser cut pieces down so that I can uh, I can do a little run for That'd some cool. of the some of the space time fans mm-hmm. for sure for sure yeah that's fun and then the, uh, the that was where all my effort went and then the rest of the the show I basically just took everything I could find including some bits from Sean Crosby and we stuffed them into a laboratory. That oh, scientist nice. laboratory. Nice. Um, including, like, you know, <laughs> I've got a, a friend at work that builds robots. And so he had these very disturbing uh, lifelike robotic heads uh, that they had marketed. Uh, they were like Elvis heads and monkey heads. Hmm. And he had taken all the skin off of them so that he could hack into them and left all the exposed wiring and stuff. They're very disturbing. <laughs> and we put them up on the walls with the uh, with the beakers of, nice. of uh, you know, greeblies and monsters and stuff. That's that's what I call giving it some flair, yeah. And and Travis actually, Travis deserves as much uh, credit as anybody else for putting that set together because he uh, he had been working at Disneyland and they had a whole bunch of these glowing LED mm-hmm. ice cubes that they would put in drinks and things for oh, some sort yeah. of Tron party or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they they're multicolored, and at the end of the night they were going to throw them all out. So he just took all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so he had a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we put them in every piece of the set oh. and behind everything. So it'll glowed and made, you know, uh, had all sorts of interesting lighting effects. It was, it was really neat. Wow. Well, you know, that's uh, cheap. It was very BBC-esque. Very old school. And that's where we lose the signal for this episode. Come on back next time for the second half of my chat with Mr. Brian Wiega. We're going to get more into cars and props and putting together a TV movie 7th Doctor costume. So if you have any questions or suggestions, please go to www.costumestationzero.com and I'll be happy to answer it. In the meantime, this is Bob Mitch signing off for Costume Station Zero. (laughs) 